rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I was looking up the actor who played Arthur Dales, and I saw the spoiler that he is only in this episode and his original episodes. He only makes these two appearances. And I just can't help thinking what a missed opportunity of a character. Do you really think so? Do you want to I, see more Arthur Dales? I want the idea of this is the guy who first found the X-Files, and he is kind of the future of what Mulder can be. He is a what if Mulder didn't have Scully to kind of hold him back. In those ways, I think of him as an interesting character. The show never really figured out how to work him. Again, his first episode, that was a very missed opportunity episode because the first X-File turned out to be kind of a boring case that didn't really have anything to do with anything. And here he's just kind of a drunk who gets them in a random side quest that isn't even that great of an episode. Yeah, I mean, I I can see that for sure. And I think that Arthur Dales probably represents uh, uh, some of the missed opportunities that the X-Files has going forward because... Yeah, We are more than halfway through the sixth season, and I think it's fair to talk a little bit about how different this season has felt from, from every other season that has come before it. And I think primarily what is making this season so weird is that everyone on the writing staff seems bored with the concept of the X-Files. How Most, so? I, I, aside from maybe Drive, which is arguable, and, and last week's two-parter, I would have to say that pretty much every episode this season has been varying degrees of either comedy or, or mm. you know, formally experimental. And the sort of bread-and-butter style Monster of the Week episodes that The X-Files excelled at in its first four and five seasons really are not here. And, you know, we'll talk about Aguamala and Monday, of course, in more detail. But this is sort of a broad idea that I've been having that everyone on the writing staff and the production staff just seems like they're losing interest in the show. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I did like Aguamala. I thought Aguamala did a decent job of attempting to blend comedy and horror. I mean, there were some very funny moments and there are uh, I, I, the body horror of the episode is is creepy and gross, and I mean that is a legitimate subgenre in 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 horror. The kind of funniness going with the grossness, and but I, so, so the guy who wrote this, uh, David Amon, have we heard of him before? Because his name seemed new to me. No, I, I believe he wrote a story treatment or wrote an okay. episode before. I, I don't remember which one. See, um, and, and that kind of, on the one hand, it's a little bit of a new blood. So that new tone, I thought, worked well. But then we have, for example, Scully is in the stereotypical Scully persona through this episode. This is the version of Scully that sea monsters don't exist. And what are you talking about when... After all, she has seen at this moment, she can accept that there is some kind of fluke man in the ducks, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think that, that the show has kind of lost the thread a little bit, frankly. And and while I enjoy a lot of the episodes in the sixth season, I, I find that they're they're not really... 
they're not really gelling as well as they used to. And and Aguamala mm. is a very good example of that because I think that the closest analogy or analog to Aguamala is season two's Humbug. And that was an important episode okay. for a number of reasons. You know, that was the first episode that was written by Darren Morgan. That was the first episode that was a, a more comedic take on the concept of the X-Files. And Aguamala has those elements, but doesn't have the pathos and the heart that Darren Morgan puts into his scripts. Yeah. I think that Aguamala is 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 kind of a mean-spirited episode in its comedy. It is pointedly making fun of and in some cases being kind of racist. Yeah. Um, I mean the the and yeah. And what is I think the the other part of that is that with Humbug, Mulder and Scully were they were they were in the television show, right? And they were they were in it. They were in the episode. They were a vital part of the plot. And in this episode, it almost feels like Mulder and Scully are the straight men to their own show. You know, everyone else feels like they're in a comedy episode. Mulder and Scully feel like they're in a straight X Files episode, and it's an interesting choice. But I don't know that it works. Mm. I just think it, it, it's clicking to me that. Uh... Humbug also took place in Florida, and I don't know that that it, it, that's I think a very apt comparison in the two. Um, Humbug was making a point about a subculture of Americana. Again, one of the things that the X Files does well when it is when it takes this weird little pocket and it investigates it and it makes the monster of the week kind of a manifestation of what goes on in that little pocket. Um, and there is no particular, uh, the, the apartment building with these couple people. I mean, this is not a particular community that we are seeing being affected. They are community just because of circumstance. Um, but it doesn't really have much to say about that or about their relationship to the outside world. You keep having the there. There's this cre- repeated line of you know, oh, all the nets ro- roll down to Florida, and all that seems to mean is yes, this is a place with a bunch of crazy people, and here are five of them. Look at how silly they are. Yeah, I mean that's that to me is is the 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 key line in the episode because it is repeated by so many people and there is a there is a fundamental unreality to the entire situation that's happening in this episode. There's this running gag throughout the episode that that no one believes that Mulder and Scully are FBI agents. There's this idea that um you know no one is taking the events of the episode seriously because it's Florida. <laughs> and Fine. I mean, you know, for for people that aren't American, Florida is pretty much the punchline of America. Uh, But I don't know what this is supposed to be telling us about anything, you know, and I think that's what is that is what to me is is more that's more damning to this episode. I mean, in comparison with Monday, which I think is a fantastic episode, which with a lot to say. Uh, this episode is just kind of like look at the nuts in the nut house, and, and I'm not interested in that. I mean, there was a there was a real the best X Files episodes. There was a real core of empathy, and this episode has none of that. Can we be? Uh, let's be historical. So this is 2000. That this has come out. 99. 99. Um, wasn't Hurricane Andrew 95 or 97? I mean, Hor- Florida gets 
hurricanes all the time, but this had been not that far from removed from a particularly bad one. Now you can see an Exiles episode that's taking place and commenting on, here's a place where natural disasters happen, and again, a manifestation of that, and that's what that's trying to do, but again, it seems to be making fun of these poor people who are caught in a really dangerous storm. Yeah, it's like there's this there's this joke in the episode about the 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 couple, you know, the man that that has his not wife who's pregnant and you know, she's pretty much like a Puerto Rican stereotype yeah. straight out of central casting. He's whatever he is. But there's this weird line in the episode where he says you know well i don't have a car right and and he can't get out of the area because he doesn't have a car he can't evacuate and at first i say oh they're actually taking this seriously you know the working poor all this kind of stuff i mean yeah. that's what happened in, uh, in in katrina for instance you know so many people didn't evacuate because they didn't have a way to evacuate and there was no public transportation available to them to evacuate mm. so they had to stay in new orleans and many of them died or you know went through horrible situations and this episode treats it as a joke you know it treats it as like oh here's this woman who's with this loser who doesn't yeah. even have a car and do you have a car Mulder you know and there's just something very very gross about it it's a it's his not having a car is used as a mark of a Hispanic man's laziness so think about that David Amman um he didn't right that that to me is what is more damning about the entire episode that that none of these you know, in comparison with Humbug, in comparison with a lot yeah. of episodes of the X Files, these were those were real characters with with real personalities and and real hopes and dreams, and these are just a collection of cartoon sketches. And I don't watch the X Files for that. Yeah, they're not even good cartoon sketches. I I I, I mean, I'm thinking the the X-Files has worked with cartoon sketches. I mean, Night of the Coprophages was a very cartoonish episode in a lot of ways, but done very deliberately, done very savvily, done to heighten the absurdity of the situation when this is at least for the X-Files not an absurd situation. This is a natural disaster and a monster. I mean, that's fairly standard for the show. I feel like yeah, this episode this is an episode that thinks it's a lot more clever than it is and it's a little embarrassing. Yeah, because I mean what what is going on is fundamentally horrifying. I mean an entire family was killed. Yeah. You know, the opening scene is is very disturbing. I think it's probably one of the more disturbing uh, you know opening scenes the X-Files ever did in terms of uh, of sheer horror. And you know, the, the the deputy is, is gravely injured and then dies, yeah. disappears. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in this episode, but at every turn it is undercut by these attempts at humor, which just aren't very funny. And I think this is a failing of the X-Files in the sixth season in general, that it relies too much on humor and relies too much on comedy. You know, I, I don't want to turn into one of those X-Files fans back in 1998, huh. 1999 that were going on the internet and being like, the X-Files is funny. Why is the X-Files funny? I don't watch the X-Files for comedy. If I want to do that, I'll watch Seinfeld or whatever the hell. <laughs> but 
no, but I think in some respects they're right. Like the comedy X Files were always the comedy episodes of the X Files were always remarkable because they were rare, and because they were doing something interesting with the concept of the show. They were broadening yeah. the, the ways in which the X Files could tell its stories. But at this point, it's become very one note. Yeah, I mean. Again, I did end up liking Rain King because it was using a comedy episode to talk about shipping, and that is about as low stakes in this as possible, but it's not that good at balancing the humor with the high stakes of this plot because Algamala does have a relatively high-stakes plot. All of these people are in danger. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I I would say there is a bit of I don't really understand the nature of the monster at the end of the day, but sure, I'll accept that it is what it is. Um, well, I mean, I will challenge you a little bit on that because I think that that while the monsters in the X Files sometimes don't make a ton of sense, at least you they're not completely confusing as this one is. I mean, yeah. So is it made out of water or not? Is it, is it physical? Is it allergic to what, what happened? How right? like, what were they doing at the beginning of the episode where they were trying to dump out the water in the washing machine, I guess, because it wasn't salt water and it was going to kill the monster. Like, you know, there's so many things about it that just are glossed over and fresh water. It doesn't, it fundamentally doesn't make any sense. Fresh water mixed in with regular water kills it, but the thing can be out in the air. Like, does that make sense? No, it doesn't. <laughs> like, that makes less sense. Yes, it would be diluted. It would... I don't know. It, 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 and again, that that is part of the... If you're going to put us through this, at least give us a mystery that makes sense. But you couldn't even do that. And while the mechanics... You know, not to skip ahead to Monday, but while the mechanics of Monday don't seem to... Don't... Aren't that easily structured and codified... It has a little more to say, and it's using that metaphorically and symbolically, and that's okay, but we don't get either of that here. No, we don't, and and I think that, that what uh, the other part of Aguamal that is so aggravating to me is, is Arthur Dales, because yeah, you know, the episode, tri- like, the Arthur Dales is like, oh, he's now retired, and he lives in Florida, and he's a drunk, and okay, that's not funny, that's actually kind of sad, and... Yeah. There's this, like, half-assed attempt to tie Aguamala in with the themes of this season, which are that Mulder and Scully are, uh, you know, stronger together than apart, and that they they rely on each other. They're each other's, like, soulmates or whatever. I mean, the the shipping has died down in the sixth season at least a little bit. We haven't had any of that in a few weeks, but it it is a very big part of this season, and they are really doubling down on that. And... That's a fine message, but A, I don't know that we needed the return of Arthur Dales to tell us that because we have been watching the X-Files for five and a half seasons. And B, Arthur Dales is just fundamentally not a very interesting character. Yeah, again, he's a wasted potential. And I can see a – Darren Morgan writing this episode would have written Arthur Dales as what Mulder could have been. Again, he sees Mulder as – he sees Mulder as the man, right? Darren Morgan recognizes that David Duchovny is a handsome white dude and is going to have certain doors opened. And again, episodes like Small Potatoes have played with that impression a bit. And I can see the pathos in here's Arthur Dales. Arthur Dales 
didn't really have that person to rely on, even though he had that secretary. Again, another missed opportunity. It would have been really cool for Arthur Dales and that sassy redhead secretary to go off and have adventures in the 1950s. I would love to see that show, but um, Arthur Dales didn't have a scully with him and so just became a lonely drunk, and that's a possible fate for Mulder, and that's pathos right there, but this episode is not capable of seeing that. It just sees Arthur Dales as he is a drunk. He's a day drinker. That's who he is. And a broken clock's right twice a day. This one, he happened to be right, but he is a crank otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I think that 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 actually is a really good way to encapsulate the entire episode is that it's just a huge missed opportunity. It it takes everything that we know about the X-Files in terms of how it approaches its storytelling, how it uses its humanity, how it uses its pathos and all of that. And and just takes the exact opposite yeah. tack on all of it, and it doesn't work, and it's not interesting, and it's actively not very good. Yeah, that's uh, I, I. And this is an episode that I find I liked less after talking about it because watching it, you have the creature effects and all of that, but thinking about it, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's not great, a- a- and it's a contemptuous episode, and it's a cynical episode, and it's the kind that is unthinkingly so, because even though there was cynicism in Humbug, it was a very humanitarian cynicism, and one that was caused from a certain... I mean, a humbug has a cynicism that is very weary and beaten down, right? These are people who have had it rough and as a result are – have their banded together community is a bulwark in a lot of ways. They have made this community because they know that the outside world won't take them seriously, won't treat them well, and here is a place where they actually – have the upper hand and are actually able to live with dignity and uh, nobody in nobody in Agamala has dignity no i think yeah that that's right nobody in the episode has dignity whatsoever and and that is its primary failing you know we had talked so much about the x-files in terms of how Mulder and scully view the truth how Mulder and scully view their their roles here and you know certainly i think that this episode doesn't really have any of that i mean it's it's sad it's a missed opportunity it's 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 so alien to how i understand the x-files and you know this is the kind of episode that makes people who just won't watch science fiction justified in their (laughs) opinion you know there, there are so many people out there that i think would really like some science fiction if they gave it a chance yeah but they can't get past this kind of thing. And I think that's fair, but at the same yeah. time, I think it's, it's sad, you know? Yeah. I don't know. The, the X-Files this season is really losing me. I, I don't know what they're doing. And well, they, I don't think galling about it is that I don't know if they know what they're doing. Yeah. I, 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 what I'm thinking of is that at some point I asked you, and I don't remember if this was on the podcast or not, like, what does this, the X-Files think about America and the government? And you kind of laughed and said, well, we're going to need a couple seasons to answer that question. But th- 
And I don't know if the break is the dividing line in the thoughts, but something happened around the time the movie was started to be made that changed the X-Files view of things. Like, well, I, I mean, not not to go too far afield because we should move on to, to Monday, but I, I think two primary things happened, which which kind of mark the sixth season. I mean, you can really easily split the X-Files into two halves. Well, I guess now three. Now, I guess now uh, three thirds because of the, the two reboot seasons or not reboot seasons, whatever you want to yeah, call yeah, them. Yeah. Um, the the, the re- revival seasons. But uh, hey, at least the X-Files revival seasons get, didn't get canceled because David Duchovny went on a, a you know, a racist twitter rant um that's true but but i think that that you know you can really divide the x-files at least the original x-files let's call it og x-files and into two halves the the pre los angeles and post los angeles versions of the show and you know this is something that Mm. a lot of people have mentioned a lot of people have said it is a very obvious thing to notice but it's very true and i but i think it's it's not I think it's true for for different reasons than most people think it is. They think, oh, well, they moved to L.A. and everything's shiny and sunny and the X-Files just doesn't work. Well, no. I mean, they make a lot of television shows like that in Los Angeles, and it's fine. Um, I mean, they made Angel in Los Angeles, and that had no lack of grittiness. Right, exactly. Like, it's possible. (laughs) Have you ever been to downtown Los Angeles? Like, it's gritty. They made... Um, Six Feet Under is in Los Angeles. It's dark as shit. That's not an excuse. Exactly. Uh, because a number one, you know, Chris Carter, I believe had always intended the show to end in the fifth season. And I think that he just didn't know where to go after that. He was like, okay, we're building up to the movie and the movie is going to do what? And then we're going to be done with the show and we're just going to keep making movies instead. And, you know, Fox didn't want to kill their golden goose. And so they renewed it. Um, so I don't know if he was tired. It's just possible that he didn't know where to go after the fifth season was over. And then I think the other thing, which is true is that the move to LA did fundamentally alter the show because so many of the, uh, production staff were different. And, and I think they were all just tired. You know, Chris Carter didn't want to move Scully, um, Scully, Jillian Anderson wasn't too thrilled about it. Uh, you know, famously Vince Gilligan wasn't too thrilled about it. Uh, David Duchovny was really the only one who, who, who felt like it was a good idea because he wanted to be closer to his wife. And I was going to say that's because of Taylor Ioni and look where that. Yeah. Went. And I, I, I was funny cause I was doing a little bit of research and preparation for recording this. And, and I found a quote from Vince Gilligan about the move to, to the, to LA, which was very indicative of something that I had never known before, which is that, um, they basically had their budget cut in half because of the, the strength really? of the U.S. dollar as opposed to the Canadian dollar, you know? So, th- oh. so they were working on a, you know, a shoestring again, which they hadn't done, you know, since like the first season. And so there are a lot of factors yeah. that go into it, but I think that, that fundamentally speaking, the sixth season of the X-Files is really a show in transition. They don't know what they're doing, and I think it really shows in episodes like Aquamala. Yeah, and I get the sense that they don't, this isn't a hump that they get over. They and one of the stars leaves. So <laughs> that is very true. Although I will defend the later seasons of the X Files, but you know that's that's a conversation for the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to Monday. But before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you listening to this that tuning in is supported by you, the listener. Please do go to patreon.com slash track about show and give now. We have some reward tiers there. We do rely on your generous support to keep bringing this podcast and track about to you. Once again, the place to go to give is patreon.com slash track about show. 
So I said last week that Monday was one of my favorite Vince Gilligan episodes, perhaps my favorite Vince Gilligan episode. I think a lot of the reason for that is because I am a sucker for time loop stories. I love time travel. Yeah. It is one of my favorite genres, one of my favorite storytelling devices. But this is also just a really, really strong episode for what it says about fate and 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 where we are in life. It's funny because this episode reminds me in some ways of the field where I died in that it is just a really weird kind of poetic meditation on something and there's something supernatural going on but it doesn't 100% make sense. But this is a lot less pretentious of an episode. It's a lot less uh, – openly artsy and i think it works a lot better for that because largely the supernatural of what's happening is a gateway into these meditations on fate and what can change and how do you change the future and who are you and why are we who we are at this moment which is a concern of the x-files at this point um the x-files is very how did Mulder and scully get into this position how did this conspiracy happen what was these are the results of choices that were made when they were children or things that happened these are questions that the show is asking and i think this was a very excellent way of asking these questions yeah because you know let's go back to the events of the two-parter last week which is that you know everything that that Mulder's life essentially became was set in motion before he was born and you know the kidnapping of his sister and and all those kind of things and so you know, this episode is, is, is in that context, is in that context of Mulder really being trapped in a life that perhaps he never would have had if it weren't for um, the syndicate and his parents and, and all those people. And I, I mean, I think, A, this is just a really well done episode. I mean, I think that on the level of I'm going to sit down and watch an episode of The X-Files on Friday yeah. night, this is a good one to pick. It's very, very entertaining and it's very well done. And the other part of it, though, that I think works very well is that it does the best of what Vince Gilligan's scripts do, which is it really does get into the head of, you know, the, the quote unquote monster of the week. And also really does examine the relationship between Mulder and Scully once again in a way which is very divorced from a lot of the shipping nonsense that we've been getting this season. Yes. Yeah. Um, what I really liked about this episode was its ties to Dreamland, of all things, because I, 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 I it took the only – it took kind of the good part – it took two elements of Dreamland, this this waterbed, and the fact that Dreamland never happened, and it uses those which are dumb elements in order to make a further point about itself. I mean, in other words, Dreamland is another situation which was undone by time, and yet uh, certain resonances still happened. This bed, for example, which Mulder doesn't even remember buying in which I love the way they keep glossing over why he has a waterbed. Uh, I know. Don't you just fundamentally love that character beat for Mulder where he's the type of guy that will just walk into his bedroom and there will be like this elaborate waterbed yeah. set up with mirrors on the ceiling and he'll just kind of shrug <laughs> and go, okay, I guess this is what my life is now. 
yeah, well, somebody cleaned while I was away. I hope it was all right. I mean, for all he knows, it was just a weird part of the conspiracy plot, and it's a fine bed, so... Um, I think it's more evidence for the, the theory that I am developing that part of the X-Files is all about toxic masculinity and white male privilege, but that's a separate conversation, maybe. That's true, that's true. Um... But yeah, I mean, I really like that this episode doesn't even really bother to explain itself. We get no, there is no weird mutation from a nuclear thing which makes her go through this again. She is in no, you know, this is, she and everybody is going through the situation for no reason just because it's an opportunity to talk about fate and free will. And I really like that about it because it, any explanation would be stupid, right? I mean, that's the thing. That's the master stroke of Groundhog Day, recognizing that any explanation would be stupid and nobody really cares. Yeah, because – and this is something, of course, that a lot of science fiction does. I mean, most famously, I think, you know, Star yeah. Trek The Next Generation had an episode very similar to this called Calls and Effect, where the Enterprise – gets caught in this time loop and eventually gets destroyed at the end until they figure out a way to get out of it and you know i don't know if this episode is paying homage to that or not i mean it's very similar sometimes where um you know Mulder's trying to send a message to himself by repeating you know he has a bomb he has a bomb he has a bomb over and over again right before the bomb goes off you know stuff like that uh but where i think this episode's strength really lies is that Mulder and scully are are trapped in the episode they are not really a part of it and it is the actions of pam it is the actions of this woman who feels trapped who feels like she is in hell who who gets out of it of course it's very poignant that it's it's pam's death that causes the the time loop to to end and to be reset and for everything to go back and what what is so striking about it is that in a lot of ways this episode is about a woman who was beaten down by her relationship that you know, this doesn't seem like the healthiest relationship. This doesn't seem like uh, uh, yeah. the best sort of situation for her to be in, whether or not it is physically abusive. It seems like it is emotionally abusive. And, you know, there's... I mean, either way, either way, her boyfriend is headed towards a very destructive place. And she, whether that's destructive to her, himself, somebody else, he is very obviously a literal bomb that is waiting to go off and that she is doing everything she can to defuse it. She's being sweet. She's being aggressive. She's being, and nothing can happen. This is, I mean, you talk about toxic masculinity. I mean, the guy who was a time bomb is a very good example of toxic masculinity. This is a woman trapped in that relationship who, again, is desperately trying to to defuse the guy that she loves and is unable to do that. And the tragedy in the hell of that. Yeah, because I I think that's really right. Because I I, I keep going back to that scene one uh, in one of the time loops where where Pam and Bernard are sitting in the car and Bernard says to Pam, you know, why are you always in a mood? And uh, you know, a that's a gross thing to say. Yeah, that women can't have their own emotional like inner lives um i'm in a mood but then yeah, the, the other thing is like he, she's in a mood because you're like a fucking asshole who's about to <laughs> yeah. rob a bank like like even if she wasn't caught in this time loop and even if she wasn't in a like extraordinarily bad existential type mood because she's caught in this time loop and she is caught having to watch like you know 20 people die over and over again um she would be in a bad mood because her boyfriend is a violent 
criminal essentially and yeah this is not a good situation regardless of of whether or not the the events of this episode actually happen yeah their financial situation doesn't seem to be great i mean he's a janitor it's mentioned we don't know what she does but uh i mean he's doing this because this is his desperate attempt to get them out of this life again that's stupid you know she recognizes that this is a stupid plan he barely knows how to write the note to rob it I mean, th- this is so ha- poorly thought out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what is even more th- poorly thought out about it, of course, is that Bernard doesn't even seem to have an end game here. I mean, the end game is is literally yeah. him blowing himself up, which doesn't like the money seems incidental. You know, if you really want to examine the the sort of yeah. like, reasons for why he's doing this it doesn't really seem like he wants the money i mean it doesn't really seem like he wants to provide a better life for himself and pam it really does seem like he wants to go out in and, a blaze of glory that he is a fundamentally unhappy person who feels like life has cheated him out of something yeah. and uh, I guess if it was 20 years later, he would be an incel, but... Yeah, no, it's not like he says, like, oh, we're taking this money and, baby, we're going to Mexico. Like, he doesn't have a thing he's going to do with it. He's 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 thought about a couple of things, like, he knows about dye packs, he knows about uh, alarms and things, but when Scully is reasonably saying, like, we need to get in touch with them and let them know that you have a bomb before they rush, you know, we need, th- this is a bit of communication that needs to happen. This is how it's going to, p- and he he's just not listening to her and everything ends terribly. Again, this is, he's gone off half cocked. He is, again, the fact that he's literally wearing a bomb is a little on the nose, but I think it's a very apt symbol of what this guy is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, 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 if it's not going to blow up robbing a bank, he's going to crash his car or something like that. He is going to die in a way that is going to have collateral damage, and her being the collateral damage is the best-case scenario in this situation, which is terrible. Well, the the two little details that I that I really like about, about Bernard specifically that really tell you a lot about his character are, you know, A, he, he kind of cuts him off while he's driving and parking the car and gets yelled at, and he yells at the guy in return, and then he almost adores uh, a biker. Um, this this doesn't seem like the type of man that, that values human life or even values his own life very much or values yeah. the life of, of, of his girlfriend. And... You know, we don't. The episode is not about Bernard. The episode very smartly does not really provide us with much information about his motivations here or whatever, um, because his real motivations come on. He's not robbing a bank because he's tired of being a janitor. That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> like, but but then again, he seems this is a guy who ha- this is a guy who's just been in a crappy situation. He doesn't have a great job. Yes, he's in a relationship, but it doesn't seem to be a passionate, warm one. He lives in a shitty apartment, and he's just – he's snapped, and this is the way that he's snapped. Yeah. It could just – as today it might be snapping by unloading a gun in a movie theater. You know, he, he's just snapping somehow. So – And maybe that's and, – and this is an example of the X-Files – I mean, because it, it, we don't have sympathy for, for Bernard, but there is a great degree of empathy and understanding. This is bad. This is a bad guy. People who do this are bad. And this is – but it's an understanding that this is a thing that happens and that, that there are people like Pam who are 
trapped in the blast zone that this guy is going to snap in in a public way that's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, again, now that we are seeing I, – I, I wish the show were a little more focused in un, focused in its critique of toxic masculinity. But I think that so happens because – I mean, Breaking Bad is a critique of toxic masculinity. This is very obviously something that Vince Gilligan is very interested in. This is something that he is an aspect of society he's noticed and is doing some deep dives in. Again, this is the season we see the creator of Breaking Bad rising. Between Drive and this, these are Breaking Bad characters. For sure. And I also think that that it would have been just too early for that kind of examination of yes. toxic masculinity i mean I, I don't even know if that term was was i don't even know if that term existed in 1999 frankly and or no. if it did it wasn't outside of sort of like you know academic circles so so i think sure that, sure i mean you certainly in a uh, uh, a wife abusing drunk was something that people knew but and but the fact that he is able to catch on that again shows a degree of insight and savviness again that's why i think breaking bad was such a good show why it hit at the right moment yeah well let's talk about what monday says about Mulder and scully then because i do think that it is very important that Mulder and scully are caught in this time loop together and that you know it's we've talked a lot in this season specifically about how the show has been going down a road of shipping that neither one of us are, are, are super interested in and this episode is not that. This episode is not a shipping yeah. episode. This is Vince Gilligan in more of a b- bad blood vein where Scully is not necessarily questioning um, her covering or taking care of Mulder, but she is aware of it. These are two people. I mean, well, I was about to say these are two self-aware people, but that's really not true. I think that Scully is self-aware <laughs> and Mulder is very not self-aware. And... It's it's very interesting to me that, you know, in the various time loops and in the various days that are repeated, certain things happen and certain things don't happen and things adjust slightly. And Mulder goes into the bank first and then Scully goes into the bank first, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. one of them gets shot. The other one gets shot. But there's this idea that even though this is really Pam's problem and even though it's really Pam's death that the episode seems to be indicating um, would have actually stopped this day. You know, who knows what would have happened. Bernard maybe wouldn't have robbed the bank and would have shot her instead or something. You know, we, we don't know. But it's interesting to me that that, that even in this kind of situation, the, the fates of Mulder and Scully are so clearly linked together. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, this is a time where Scully says several times, you know, this is my partner, my partner shot, I need to save my partner in a way that this is the most important thing to her. I mean, and I don't know, that that's the, again, field where I died, which posits that they are eternal soulmates, but not in a romantic way, in a way that seems more more important than that. But Mulder and Scully are joined at the hip, and... I, uh, again, this is, this is... I find myself talking about earlier episodes a lot during the season, but this is one in where the line from The Field Where I Died about I wouldn't change a day except for the fluke man thing, that would fit very well in this episode. That is this relationship of 
Mulder and Scully, and this is the one that I am watching the show for. I'm not watching it for the, oh, they're maybe going to kiss, they maybe are in love with each other, but I'm watching for the one where they are two against the world. Yeah, and I mean not to not to lead you on or not to put spoilers out there, but but there is an episode um, that kind of you know the the second to last episode of this season um, is is very much in that vein, I think, and and that will be a very interesting episode to to talk about on the podcast because I don't know if it's the last great episode of the X Files, but it might be. Um, mm. So you still have, okay. you still have that to look forward to. Oh, good. But yeah, I mean, I think that that this is something that the X-Files has developed over time, this idea that Mulder and Scully are inexorably linked with each other and that they can't really ever get away from each other. They probably wouldn't even want to. But it does seem like an uneven relationship. Mulder seems to get more out of this than Scully does. And and this episode doesn't shy away from that. You know, Mulder gets into... Yeah, Mulder is... Mulder gets into a situation which is kind of of his own making he's oblivious and just keeps a waterbed around because why not i guess somebody just came into my apartment yeah. and gave me a waterbed um which of course those that, that that happens to everybody hasn't that happened to you um and you know he he's not showing up on time for the meeting he's doing this he's doing that and and scully is having to, to cover for him but there is a self-awareness about it there but it's still it's still in that vein of this relationship is they, they are fated to be together this this is something that the x-files is very much leaning heavily on yeah and as many and they're fated to be together and they choose to be together as well because there have been plenty of attempts to tear the two of them apart i mean being the the, the whole half of first half of this season has been circumstances trying to take each take them apart and get them away from each other and they have clawed their way back into the x-files at every moment that they could so there the the bond is from both sides in a way it's not as if this is something that they have no agency in they are aiding fate in its way they are not fighting fate putting them together yeah yeah and i think in a certain sense too there is a little at the end of the episode there is a little bit of of that idea as well of Mulder and Scully kind of guiding fate a little bit because it is the case that Mulder is the one that breaks the cycle you know Pam does come into the the bank with Scully and and it is the accidental death of Pam that that essentially causes the the time loop to break but Mulder is the one who who hands the gun to Bernard and who gives him the control in that situation. And it's, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's kind of, ambi- and- it's kind of, you know, ambivalent about who, who fixed this problem. It, 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 it doesn't really come in any well, answers, which I actually think is, is part of the episode's strength, frankly. It is one in which I wish Mulder had a little less agency, oddly enough. I do feel like this is, he does take a little of the agency away from Pam in her episode. The, there are plenty of X-Files episodes in which Mulder and Scully are more witnesses to the events that are happening while this is somebody else's story. And I thought that could have been a little stronger in this. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like Mulder, Mulder, take, Mulder taking the actions, Mulder being the one who figures it out um in a way pam sacrifices herself by accident 
it would be a little more meaningful if she recognizes that, yeah, this is the way to stop it. And, you know, yes, she does jump in front of the gun, but um, I'm thinking of the Lily Taylor episode in which, yes, she is a victim of this at the end, but she recognizes the ways that she needs to sacrifice in order to stop that. And that at least gives her a little bit of Myth of Sisyphus style dignity. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one that Pam has some of, but could have had a little more. Yeah, I, I could, I can see that for sure. And I, I do think that that may be the one failing of the episode is that you know we don't really know a lot about Pam. Of course, I don't know how much we could know about her because this is stuck. We are stuck in one day, but it, it, it's to the episode's strength that I think, in the same way that um, All Souls, the Lily Taylor episode this actress does imbue this character with a, a a level of characterization a level of pathos that is probably outside the the, the script you know this this is a this is a performance yeah. that she has a lot of hidden depth here sadly i looked her up she died a few years later of lung cancer so relatively oh, young geez, that's very young actually yeah <laughs> so that put us in a fun mood <laughs> Well, um, we should wrap this episode up, but but the last thing I, I want to mention briefly is apparently they're back on the X-Files and no one ever said anything about it. I, I, yeah, I was I, I, I was not sure about that. I mean, I got I, I, I guess the previous episode implied that was the case. And now that working for Skinner, but are they fully on the X-Files? I mean, they're in this interminable budget meeting, which... Uh, I love the li- I, I, I think the punchline of uh, so it turns out that crime is unpredictable this year was one of the best lines in that's Gilligan's written. That was that was a very good stroke of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, really? That's wow. This is what the FBI is doing. Um, because I think that that I, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about it because the episode and the show doesn't have a ton to say about it. But, you know, we talked, you know, in Aguamala about how the show might be losing interest in its own premise. And I think that this is another yeah. example of that where, you know, think back to the second season and think back to what a dramatic and powerful scene it was with Mulder and Scully in, in Skinner's office yeah. and Skinner saying, you know what? I can't do much. But the one thing I can do is reopen the X-Files. And you're like, yeah, and you're standing up on your couch and you're cheering and everything and now the sixth season and it's like they didn't even give it they didn't we were, it's not even clear like they didn't even make it clear that they got reassigned yeah. to the x-files like it's just like oh i guess they're back because Mulder's in the office again and you're like oh okay yeah like i guess spender's big like you need to put Mulder and scully on the x-files again and they're all like no and he's like but you have to and then he gets shot and so uh, apparently between episodes, somebody says, well, you know, it was Spender's last wish, then we have to honor that. So Mulder and Scully are back on the X-Files. And, you know, it, it, because of, and I keep wanting to call it the end, even though that wasn't the title of the episode. Again, another th- an, a, a better title for uh, Two Fathers, One Son. But that ended the conspiracy arc. Or at least the, the at least as much as it's going to be ended for now, and so the circumstances that led to them being off are gone, and so they're bored with it. We just want to see them investigating supernatural crimes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. But I but I think it's sad. I mean, I think it's a missed opportunity. You know, it's it's a tired show. It's a tired show that still has three seasons left. So, <laughs> what does that mean? Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. If you have any thoughts on Aguamala or Monday, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon if you would like to support us monetarily. That is patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're there. Tuning in Show is our username on all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for this podcast because it is the best way for new people to find the show. All right. We are continuing the sixth season of The X-Files. Next week, we will be talking about Arcadia and Alpha. Mac, why do you...